0: And I remember, wasn't that the year that we all went to Newt's for lunch? Yeah, I think I got the Marvin's. So, our cook Marvin's secret blend of seasonings with cheddar cheese, hardwood smoked bacon, and tangy chipotle mayo make this burger in a word. Marvy? Uh,
1: what does that even mean? I get that Marvie could be their cook, but who's Dave? Because Dave has his own burger. Spicy and hot, jalapenos and garlic mixed right into the burger. Grilled and topped with
0: sweet and spicy smoked barbecue and
1: pepper cheese. Mmm.
0: Yeah, and Todd. Todd has one as well. And patty. Oh, that's just a patty melt. Sorry. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. Hope to have uh, a lot of fun and share some great information for all those tuning in. I'm of course, Reed Smith and I'm joined by Christopher Boyer over on the other side of the microphone. Uh, Chris, you can find online at ChristopherBoyer.com, at Chris Boyer on all the uh, popular social channels. And, um, you know, be sure to connect and follow him, ask good questions, and uh, see what he's doing around the country as it relates to digital marketing and healthcare. How's it going, man?
1: Pretty good, Reed. Good morning. On the other side of the microphone, that's Reed Smith. You can find him online at SocialHealthInstitute.com. And at Reed Smith on all of the social properties. And he is also a digital expert, social media enthusiast, just all around great guy that works with hospitals and health systems around the country. He gets his hands into a lot of different types of technologies and and ideas and, and products and definitely follow him online to learn a little bit more. Reed, welcome to the podcast today. This
0: episode of Touchpoint is brought to you by one of our sponsors, Transparently.
1: Transparently is the nation's fastest-growing platform for gathering and publishing Physician Star ratings and reviews. You can visit Transparently.com to learn why the country's most innovative health systems are choosing them to power a better digital patient experience.
0: Again, to learn more, visit them online at Transparently.com. We got a little bit of cool weather here in Central Texas. I think it's going to burn off and it's going to get hot again later this week, but it was like, in, it was like 50 this morning. So, whoa, what do you do with yourself at that weather? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, you know, warm the car up, turn the heat on, you know. No, I'm kidding. But um <laughs> it's nice. It actually feels like uh, October. That's great. Well, you know, I hope
1: it's nice next week cuz we're going to be at the Healthcare Internet Conference
0: That's right. That is right. So, uh thank you for tuning in. Please rate review tell a friend and all that kind of good stuff. And if you are coming to the Healthcare Internet Conference in Austin, Texas next week. If you're not, go check out HCIC.net and sign up and come. If you're already coming, we will be there as well. Track us down. We're going to be doing a variety of things, including recording an episode of this very podcast on Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, at one forty-five p.m. Central time.
1: So, and you know, Reed,
0: we've been kind of bouncing
1: around this idea. I thought maybe we can uh, see, you know, we do the open read for the podcast, the Welcome to Touchpoint read. Yes. Maybe, um, maybe what we could do is see if anyone else wants to come up and supply their vocal talents and maybe be a star to
0: kick off our show. And just do that whole initial, you know. Intro. Yeah, that that would be cool. It'd be great if we could get forty or fifty people to do that. We could uh, we could queue up intros for a long time to come. So we'll see how many people we can talk into doing it. <laughs> well, awesome.
1: Well, read this is episode thirty-seven, and our working title of this episode is "Our Machines Taking Over Healthcare." How does that sound for an ominous title?
0: Yes, they are. They are taking over. It all
1: started with the typewriter. And then the fax machine. I knew it was over when the fax machine came into play. That's Um, right. I think that this topic is going to be a little bit interesting. You know, we're digital experts, you and I. We spend a lot of time in the digital, using digital tools and digital solutions to help address, you know, business problems. I think we're really on the forefront of understanding sort of those impacts that digital is kind of having in our industry.
0: Yeah. So we've talked a lot about targeting and personas and a lot of the things that you can do, you know, manually uh, before you hand these things or these tasks off to the machines. And so I think it's interesting to think about those types of technologies that are out there that are making it easier, um, you know, around repetitive tasks and things like that. So, you know, gone are the days that you have to spend a lot of time you know manually manipulate manipulating you know a lot of these things and um, you know now you can just turn it on and let it go in a lot of cases it's specifically you know tools like marketing
1: automation that's they that handles like you know a workflow that you can actually start to automate or maybe even like you know doing modeling data modeling on your in your CRM to understand different target markets to go for you right. can kind of plug in the factors at the beginning and let the machine
0: kind of do all the work Probably the most common that everybody can relate to that we've done for some years now, I guess, is like Mm e-newsletters. So you signed up for something like MailChimp or Constant Contact or one of those type platforms. And instead of you having to now email all of your volunteers or all of your 55 plus, you know, that are in your affinity group or whatever it was, you could, you know, create the email once and then let the computers, you know, kind of take it from there.
1: Sounds pretty ominous. Letting the computers take it from there, but um yes. the uh, the other piece of this is where it starts to get uh, where we're starting to see an impact now is around predictive modeling, even some artificial intelligence creeping its way in. Some of that's happening in the in the marketing and communication space as well, and a lot of that's happening over on uh, the clinical side and research side, where it's starting to do pattern identification. Churning through vast data sets to try to identify clinical trends, uh, mm-hmm. th- things that are that are coming from vast data sets that are out there.
0: Yeah, just the, just the ability to crunch numbers that would normally take years and years and years of manual uh, labor, you know, computers can spin through, you know, pretty quickly. So that's obviously where a lot of this starts. And now we're starting to look at what does that mean for unique individuals showing up to your website. Or interacting with your system in different ways. So it's clear we're on a path now where machines are slowly
1: taking over, becoming more intelligent, starting to you know assume a lot of the responsibilities that we as professionals in the healthcare space are doing. So it naturally begs the question: Are machines taking over? What do you think, Reed? What's your initial pass on that?
0: Taking over may be a little strong. I think um, you know becoming more ingrained, more common, more useful. You know, it's maybe, maybe, you know, more along my thoughts uh, around that. I I don't, I still think you've got to have, you know, a decision-making head, so to speak, from a strategy perspective. Plus, I don't, I don't know that computers can do employee-the-month presentations. And so, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's gonna true. Be, that's going to be tough to you know automate that.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> they could certainly rate themselves now, I suppose. But I mean, as we're hearing more and sure. more about you know like computers and robots and artificial intelligence and you know the singularity was creeping up on us very fast. Do you know what the singularity is, Reed?
0: Isn't that? I thought that was a um, you know like an allergy medicine nasal spray. Is that uh, not right? <laughs> Actually, it very well could be. Um, machines
1: actually make up names for allergy medications now, too. I'm not sure if you knew that. But in, in this case, the singularity stands for that, that point when um, machines and robots start to think for themselves and sort of take over the world, right? Terminator, future world state. Right. You know, where suddenly now humans... Be- take the
0: second place and, and, and computers take over. And can that actually happen? So, I mean, I, you know, we our first article that we've got here is about probably the most common computer learning system um, and, and automation piece that, you know, as far as in, at least in healthcare that we've talked about a lot, which is IBM's Watson. Every digital or healthcare
1: conference I've been to in
0: the last two or three years has had IBM Watson
1: there. And there's been a lot of hype around Watson being a big part mm-hmm. of healthcare, bringing in sort of that intelligence, you know, it could, it can win Jeopardy. So it, imagine what it can do in healthcare. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, clearly. I don't know. Maybe she should just continue to make the game show circuit or something. But, um, <laughs> you know, can it actually take over more important tasks? So there's been a lot of hype,
1: obviously. Anytime a new kind of entrant into the market like this, and particularly IBM's Watson, which had a lot of hype already, came into the market, that people have been paying attention to it and thinking, you know, this is going to be sort of the bellwether of the future state. Predictive modeling through IBM, it's going to come in and save the day. It's going to take away all of this, you know, massive data churning that Data scientists have to do, and now make it make our tasks much more easier in healthcare. Well, not surprisingly, some um, you know it was reported this week that Watson has really failed to gain adoption in hospitals and really proven ineffective at recognizing various forms of cancer, which was sort of like a blow to the IBM Watson PR team if you think about it.
0: Yeah, because now
1: what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's like oh, dang. <laughs>
0: Okay, That didn't go well. Well, so so I guess we'll turn back to fax machines. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Desktop computers. What does that do for everybody? (laughs) You know, I mean, this was really, really touted to help, uh, you know, not replace physicians, obviously, but help doctors make decisions in a more conclusive and, you know, solidified manner that, you know, especially around cancer, like we mentioned. I still think there's probably something there. I mean, there obviously is something there. We mm-hmm. wouldn't have gotten to this point. So it's like, you know, where do you go with it from from here? And, and two, I, you know, some of the things that are probably, I'm guessing that they're probably realizing is that, you know, adoption in hospitals is going to be hard. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are those few out there that have the innovation centers and the learning labs and things like that that want to drive this type of technology. And then there's some, especially with the, you know, uh, the uncertainty around reimbursement and some of that kind of stuff, Yeah, trying a whole bunch of new stuff or pulling in new processes and things like that is probably not on the agenda. When we
1: look at the the IBM Watson study is or case study, I should say, is is an interesting one because I think it fell down a little bit in that it was going after sort of those headlines and not Mm -hmm. really trying to actually figure out the actual application. They were really trying to say, look, we could we can identify cancers, we can we can cure cancer. We're like you know we're going to be part of that SWAT team that's going to actually help cure cancer and I think that was a little bit far reaching. You're right mm-hmm. that adoption takes a while in our space. But if you look at it, you know, more than ninety percent of hospitals now have electronic health record systems built in. And while, you know, there may be disparate, you know, there's one particular EMR that maybe owns a lot of the market, but those are still disparate systems. The point is, is that there's a lot of data out there and data management and data analysis is a messy and challenging project or or task to do. So I think that there is an application here.
0: I think there is too, but don't we see this all the time though with other technologies like Google Glass? For yeah. example, you know, people create something that nobody asked for, first off, mm-hmm. and they try to lead down that path. And now, uh, granted, I mean, everybody makes the argument that, you know, when Henry Ford created the automobile, everybody just wanted a faster horse. You know, I mean, I get that. I understand. But then we try to, you know, retrofit, you know, a particular piece of technology back into healthcare, you know, and, and sometimes the use case does not drive the you know, needed investment and things like that relative to, you know, how how we're going to roll these things out and do they then become valuable or not? You know,
1: what's interesting about what you just said, Reed, you said, you know, Henry Ford invented the automobile, right? He didn't invent the automobile, but he's associated with that because he actually invented a way to, to manufacture and mass produce, to actually introduce the automobile into our everyday life, right? Sure. And and the same is true with like Edison and the light bulb. He didn't invent Mm -hmm. the light bulb. He just invented a way to to, to actually make it more sustainable into our life. So I think that the same is true in healthcare with this machine learning, this predictive modeling, is that, IBM Watson kind of when it came out of its the gates wanting to say we're going to solve this problem and they may or may not be the one that actually is the, the widespread adoption they're certainly trying. Mm-hmm. There's other tools out there now too though uh, like Google's or Alphabet right? Google's parent company Alphabet is using Google Brain um, UCSF is partnering with them to start to understand uh, some data and that's being applied in like radiology specialties and other places. So we see a lot of other entrants
0: and I'm sure Facebook is Going to be there, and Amazon's going to be there. Well, because they own all the data. So especially, especially something like Amazon. You know, right now they're trying to determine where they're putting the corporate headquarters or whatever it is. And so there's the, you know, who's going to win the Amazon sweepstakes? But you know, of course, they've bought Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. So here, pretty quickly, they're going to have a lot of insights into what people are doing and where they're doing it and how often and all that kind of stuff. Not that they don't already. But you take people like Amazon, Facebook, even Google, you know, that are collecting all these data points that I think will then help drive down this path of automation, you know, understanding things, you know, more clearly, being, you know, predictive modeling, you know, all those types of things. And that'll be able to support some of this better. So I think you're right in the sense that. You know, no one knows. I say no one knows. I don't mean that literally, but people don't know who invented the car. So somebody's got to go charge out front and create enough evidence that then somebody else comes along and determines how, how does that actually make it into everybody's home. But, you know,
1: that begs the question about um, what we hear a lot about, which is the artificial intelligence and the, the mm-hmm. computer being smart enough to start to calculate and understand you know, how to, to apply itself within this space. And so I think that maybe we want to do a little bit of an aside here, or not even an aside, but just talk about sort of the smartness of computers, how smart computers are. And I found another article that we'll link to in our show notes uh, from Time Magazine that just was recently published, that was actually called Are Computers Smarter Than Humans?,
0: so the short answer is yes.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, sure. Computers are, are smart. Uh, computers are pretty... There's a lot of advantages of computers, let's put it that way. The article defines intelligence in two factors. One is the ability to learn, and the other is in the ability to solve problems. So think about intelligence as being defined with those two factors. You can learn, and you can solve problems. So right. clearly, computers have a benefit... On both of those, if you think about like learning, computers could take lots of data in and after turning through that data, start to draw algorithms and parallels and trends and, in effect, learn from those.
0: Yeah, they can. It's interesting when you think about that. I'm looking at this calculator that's sitting on my desk that I think I recommended several episodes ago from seventh grade math or whenever I got this, you know, no matter how many times I plug a math problem into this, it's going to get it right every time. There's no room for error as far as calculations go. Mm -hmm. I think what you're talking about, what you've mentioned here from this particular article is, you know, now computers have evolved from just taking data entry and bringing back a result is now the ability to actually learn and potentially learn faster because they can process so much data you know, learn faster than humans.
1: And they can run multiple different types of scenarios and actually test out hypothetical situations using actual data, given large enough data sets, to determine outcomes. And so in effect, what they're doing is they're learning how to solve particular problems. So, for example, if they had enough data around DNA, uh, they can actually see that these certain DNA factors or contributors will lead to this particular type of outcome. So, that's how we're getting into genetic testing and genetic footprint testing, you know? So, that's done by computers, and it's done much faster.
0: And, you know, something that mentions in here about, you know, speed, not equating to intelligence I guess
1: yeah that's right
0: but, but I will say I mean so but does speed not contribute to intelligence because I mean if computers are able to do so much more so much faster can they get to the finish line quicker right like I think we've already said they can right you know depending mm-hmm. on what it is that you're talking about In that regard, though,
1: if you think about it, just because you're fast doesn't mean you're going towards a certain goal. Speed is one thing, but you have to certainly put some focus on what you're trying to accomplish, and you have to make sure your goal is actually something that's going to be attainable. I assume that computers can pull in billions of records of information and process it, but if they don't have any direction or any purpose or anything around that, it's not going to actually solve any particular goals, or it might come out with a solution that is unattainable in the real world true
0: so speed is not true intelligence right right and so what we're seeing is that humans still lead the charge you know as far as general intelligence goes but most importantly at least in my mind maybe is creativity and and common sense you know contextual knowledge of what's happening around you you know i think plays a big role and we use it all day long you know every day obviously in in our lives but I think creativity is one of those things that's, you know, commonly overlooked, uh, whether it's creative problem solving or more creativity in the traditional sense uh, of the word. So I, I sense your
1: a little spark of philosophical insight there, Reed, from you. It's like you're saying that the human condition is such that we're more creative. I mean, after all, we created the computers, right? We created these problem solving machines. Aren't we naturally then smarter than the computer?
0: yeah are we i don't know that i am but <laughs> because can you set a computer on a path where ultimately it then surpasses you we've heard about google was
1: it google or, or was it facebook no it was google's google's artificial intelligence that started developing its own language because it was more efficient so and it worried the programmers so much that they had to shut it down that's frightening i think that there's a lot of things if you think about us as humans We have multiple senses at work that allow us to intelligently interpret the world, the world that we're in, and in particular, the world of healthcare and the industry of healthcare delivery. So doctors, nurses, data scientists digital marketers, I think we all have the ability to utilize all of these senses to kind of provide some insight. But what's interesting is there, you know, there's been some advances with AI, and maybe we should talk about some of those um, advanced, very rapid advances in the last five or six years. But the first one is around being able to interpret visual clues.
0: Yeah. So I think that that particular piece is super interesting in the sense that you know, it was so reliant on us inputting certain things, right? To actually be able to turn around and give you results. Mm -hmm. You know, AI, I think, has developed to a place now where it can start reading between the lines. I think, did we see some of this relative to search engines early on where, you know, you could spell things wrong and it would still return the correct results? Like it, it was making an interpretation about what you meant. You know, now with, you know, visual cues... You know, we're getting even even closer. So, if you look at things like, oh, have you done, I'm sure you've done, I'm sure other people listening have done, like Google image searches. Mm-hmm. You know, where you mm-hmm. can just drop in the picture and it gives you like, you know, here are other things like that, or here's everywhere this one resided. I think that's really fascinating. You know, just to kind of figure out where you know where things come from, what it looks like and the ability to interpret you know, a visual piece of data.
1: You know what else I'm seeing recently is that you search for an image and it says, here are images that are related to the original image that you searched for. <laughs> right. And that kind of blows my mind a little bit because it's taking a variety of different visual clues and putting together maybe an algorithm or a filter and then mm-hmm. finding other images that match that search and pulling that up. A friend of mine, we we actually trade images back and forth that way um, through text. He sends a picture of himself and I put his selfie into the Google search and pull up like, you know, a, a related image. It's kind of a funny little game. But the point is <laughs> Google is trying to do is draw parallels with the visual image. And that's really working in a huge way, they are pathologists that are now using that capability to start to detect breast, prostate, mm-hmm. other cancers, and they're actually using this Google search tool or this Google algorithm to try to develop ties between different types of charts and readings, of course. You need a lot of readings to get to that. But still, I mean, I think that's an interesting use of uh, visual clues.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of this relates, you know, because they do have the ability to adapt and learn, you know, as the, as the end gets higher, we'll get better and better results. And so that's just a good example of that. The, the bigger the data set gets. Uh, the more precise, I guess, it becomes. It's it's really it's really interesting, really interesting, and I you know in this particular, uh, there's an article here about you know from the Google Brain chief that its ability, like from an ophthalmologist to diagnose you know different studies. But anyway, it goes down and talks about the fact that it's frightening that that natural AI that it's you know been able to create and and gone down, you know to a certain level of accuracy that i guess previously you know only humans would have been able to tell like in this case you're talking about the difference between a dog or or a cat mm-hmm. in, in this particular case so well so that's one sense right the visual
1: sense where computers are becoming more advanced i could see it even overcoming humans i wear glasses right so my eyesight's a little bit failing and i i, I really appreciate that and i could see that um
0: you know for computers to be able to identify that at such a smaller level <laughs> We'd like to take a minute to thank one of our sponsors, our good friends over at Binary Fountain. As you know, they are the experts in reputation management and they will be at the healthcare internet conference here at the end of October. So be sure to stop by their booth. They're at booth number 40 and learn a little bit more about their binary health analytics solutions and how that will help you in your day-to-day life as you're monitoring your reputation online. So if you've got questions, want to check out a demo, whatever it may be, stop by booth 40 at HCIC. And as a bonus, you may be able to win a pair of Apple AirPods by just stopping by. Tell them we said hi. Let's talk about another one. Let's talk about sort of the natural
1: language processing that's forming. How computers are starting to understand human language. And imagine that. We've talked about this before, Reed, in our Voice First podcast when we were talking about right. the different devices, the Google and the Amazon devices that are out there.
0: It, this is one of those that you, you've heard a lot about this for years. And from a clinical standpoint, you know, physicians have been doing it for a while uh, around dictation. The natural language processing, I, it's continuing to grow. And it's getting more and more uh, sophisticated, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know A lot of it was somewhat simplistic. Now you're seeing things where it's becoming a little more commonplace, whether it's Siri or some of the voice-first uh, devices like we've talked about before from you know Amazon or Google or what have you.
1: And taking the spoken language and translating it into text that's then understandable and using that text to actually derive meaning from that text, which is pretty powerful. If you think about it, they talk about here that there's a lot of investments are are being made by IBM, Apple, Microsoft, to start getting into cognitive computing and machine learning through EHRs. Now, we've mentioned that before in an episode, right? Why doesn't uh, Epic have its own voice-first technology? Well, it looks like there are a lot of EHR vendors that are spending time Trying to get that cross between the natural spoken language and the written language into one particular data set, so to speak.
0: Again, I think it's going to take a lot of these folks combining data sets, combining learnings to get us somewhere that's usable. And so maybe that is an Amazon or you know Google that ultimately are going to get to a place where... And think about what this only does for things like uh, telemedicine, the ability to serve underserved areas. I suddenly go to the fact that, you know, in Japan, they
1: have these computer-generated personas that are being built now that actually sing songs and become pop stars in Japan, right? And they're all computer-generated. Based and they're singing songs that computers have created. I, I'm not sure if you heard of this, but I mean, it's just really odd, right? There's also other applications which we won't go to today on the podcast. But the thing is, is that is that what the future state is stated going to be? Is we're going to log into a telemedicine device and not have a real doctor there, but have a computer nursing assistant? Maybe I don't know. That uh, actually is right. all just a computer that's that's looking into data sets, pulling out information triaging you at a certain level
0: and then handing you off to an actual human when need be. And we're seeing some of it in the marketing world, obviously. Um, And and you've seen it when you go to a variety of websites out there. Uh, One that comes to mind are car dealerships. Mm -hmm. And they've got the little chat widget at the bottom. Uh, I think even Lowe's, Home Depot, places like that. And it allows you to chat. And then they hand you off to a live person when they can when the ai mm-hmm. can no longer answer your questions right right piedmont healthcare in atlanta our friend mm-hmm. matt gove over there uh just recently launched with a new product called guide from our friends over at transparently mm-hmm. uh, where it's doing something very similar so across his site he has a different chat, AI driven chat widget that will answer a lot of questions to get people going where they need to go based on their activities on the site and things like that and then again hand off to the call center or hand off to a nurse navigator or whatever it is if it's something that that the AI cannot do like if you need help paying your bill for example.
1: Those are great use cases and those seem, you know, relatively benign in terms of if we think about the singularity in healthcare, it's not happening that quickly. What I I see as a general trend is as computers are being developed and, and advancing and artificial intelligence is advancing, I see them advancing along all the different type of sensory inputs that humans have. So we got a visual, we got the oral, the audio, we got speaking, mm. being able to speak back. There's a lot of different, if you look at all the five senses, we're starting to, to develop computer capabilities around all five senses. And I recently attended a an artificial intelligence summit. It was actually about two years ago, I should say, um, in New York, in New York City, where they were actually talking about how they're developing computers that Visually, have a tactile interface that make them seem more human-like. So, looking at developing not just you know fake artificial faces that make facial expressions that look like humans, but you know things like they at one point they wrap a robot in fur and that becomes like a artificial cat that purrs for you in bed, and it it, and because it feels right, you know. I mean, it's like there there's different types of application here that, I don't know. I mean, I think we're getting to the point where we're going to start to see some pretty crazy interfaces in the future.
0: Like, I'm already kind of itching and about to sneeze (laughs) thinking about a cat (laughs) hurrying the bed and all that stuff. But, man, that is... um I don't know <laughs> all these tools uh there is a certain level of off the rails, I guess people will go with some of this stuff, but I guess that's the good and bad of innovation and I you know to each their own, I guess, but still, I go back to our family business that my dad ran for many years, wholesale electrical supply company and in thinking about how large the mainframe was that ran that. Basically, billing software—that was basically what it amounted to—and you know, now you could do what they did uh, in that giant room with many employees. Uh, I don't know; you did do it off your phone, probably iPad for sure. And so, again, stuff's getting smaller, faster. We've got too much stuff going now that into you know, our pictures are getting bigger and bigger. Data is becoming more and more heavy. That. To actually crunch it, you're gonna have to have some of this. You will. You'll need computers. So, why don't we kind of end this
1: conversation with an article that I found from Forbes that basically says, you know, how to keep your marketing job through the revo- through the AI revolution. And the reason why I want to end with this article, because it really gives a good positive perspective on the fact that artificial intelligence and computers and robots and all of this other stuff, there's actually a, a significant role for us as humans to interface with these tools. Okay, so the first thing that they brought up is that there is still going to be a need, even if you have these smart robots and this artificial intelligence and all the being able to crunch data sets, whatever, we still need to become self-learners. What what that means is, is this technology is relatively new and the application is not yet clearly defined. I mean, we could see some obvious use cases, but... Really, a lot of the technology in the future that we're going to be using, we haven't even thought about it using in that way. So becoming self-learners, starting to understand and embrace these new technologies, not be afraid of them, and figure out how they can fit in the current state to solve current problems, but also in the future state. Where is the future going to be? And from our perspective, to also identify how much time do we invest in, in these new technologies and how much of this is maybe we should wait and see and let someone else solve it before we get there.
0: You know, That's a really great example of uh, no matter how smart they get, you, you still have to set the pace, set the strategy, set the direction. And it also goes into talking about, you know, while you know more and more of these computers will be problem solving, we still need to be identifying the problems to be solved. I mean, the computers can do a little bit of that, I guess, but again, it's more about setting strategy, setting direction, because the computer doesn't care what you do or do not accomplish, it doesn't have feelings. It's not like, oh man. Wish you would've gotten that sorted out, you know. So you have to, you know, you've gotta send, you know, down a path and, you know, identify what problems or areas of, of emphasis need to be focused on. The computers may not have feelings
1: yet, right? They're working on that mm-hmm. as well, but mm-hmm. still the, the other part of that is, is while you're identifying where the problems are to solve, it's also there may be new ways to solve problems from the data and the work that computers are being done. So we also have to become better computational thinkers, better analysts of the data. Now that we have all this data and we have the powerful ability to sort through this data, how can we use this? And apply it to drive insight for future problem solving, right? So how do the the oncologists utilize all of this great data that IBM Watson is currently doing and find a real applicable way to, to use it in healthcare to help fight cancer?
0: And then we mentioned this earlier, but, you know, creativity. We need to rely on our creativity to really differentiate mm-hmm. ourselves from... Uh, everybody else, because at some point in time, computers will level the playing field to some degree relative to what computers can do. Mm-hmm. So everybody now has a smartphone. So you don't have a smartphone and everybody else has a flip phone mm-hmm. you know, anymore. So at some point, you know, the playing field gets leveled. And so we've got to continue to, you know, lean into our creativity to determine, you know, where to go next, what to do, how to do it differently. Uh, how to you know rely on what we're receiving to really take us uh, in those new directions that uh, maybe other people haven't thought of
1: yet that open minded thinkingness is going to be very important for us you know into the future these are tools that are just tools in a, in a greater toolkit. We're using these tools to help with healthcare. And so how do we use these tools for the good? How do we use these tools to drive our business problems, to solve our communication challenges or our clinical challenges or whatever they may be in an open-minded way? How do we put these pieces together?
0: So ultimately I think, you know, we talk a lot about computers, a lot about automation, analysis, data, you know, stuff that, that to some degree is relatively cold. And for a lot of use cases, it works really well. If you're wanting to pay your bill and it's pretty straightforward, that's great. I don't need to talk to anybody. But we've got to make sure we're, we're making sure that, that these experiences become more and more human. People still want to deal with people. They want to have empathy. You know, computers cannot provide empathy. And so, you know, we've got to still make sure that we understand that we're still working in healthcare. And while technology helps advance that, you know, we're still people dealing with people. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast. I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we
1: even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience.
0: Well there you go. I you know, I would I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else. They've also got some complimentary solutions on their website, but but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. That's
1: Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready? Fight! All right, Reed, we've been talking about computers taking over healthcare, and we've touched on this in our earlier conversation, and I think we need to hit this point straight on the head. The question that we are going to debate today is a big question. Can computers be created that will eventually be smarter than humans? There's no chance that they surpass humans. Not possible. Do you want to explain why, or do you want me to jump in right away with the counter-argument?
0: No, I do not want to explain. No, um... Well, I think in the simple the shortest answer is is that we created computers therefore we're smarter.
1: Okay. So, but as I mentioned to you before, that even in real life, Google has an algorithm that their artificial intelligence started to create its own language in order to process and solve computer language faster and better than humans. So computers are already even now demonstrating the ability to be smarter and more actively problem solving. And so I would say that in particular use cases, like that one, computers can evolve to be smarter than humans. I think that's something to be concerned about
0: no 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 all right so there's no way they surpass in my i guess example of that is elon musk Mm -hmm. so we're always going to have an elon musk although computers may be smarter than some they will not surpass the human race as a whole because we will have people that continue to evolve quicker and through creativity even, build and do and find and explain things that, quite honestly, I don't even understand. Maybe what you're arguing is that computers
1: can't be smarter than the entire human population all at once. But I would argue that computers right now that we're using are smarter than you and I. And there are ways in which computers are actually often aiding, if not helping us, to interpret and appreciate life a lot better than we are. And so by that point, from an individualistic perspective, computers are smarter than you or me. And so therefore, it's just a slippery slope. They're going to eventually take over everything. I feel
0: like this is maybe too far into movies that we've seen. I still don't think this is the case. Like, can't we just unplug it? (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, but I mean, I think, okay, yes, we, we, I I still think, you know, I liken this to maybe like the CEO of an organization, right? So the CEO of an organization is not maybe as smart in marketing as the vice president of marketing or the chief marketing officer or the director of marketing, whoever it is. Um, But that does not mean that that person is smarter than the CEO, It just means they're deeper in one piece of subject matter. So if we're setting these computers down a path and they become smarter and smarter, that's fine. But it does not mean that they're smarter than we are. It just means they're processing data faster.
1: So in in this particular example, you're suggesting that the computer is the employee. I would say that arguably, in some cases, the computer can be the CEO. Think about the way that Facebook is manipulating its users, and I use that word strongly, but manipulating its users to believe certain ways, to have certain moods, to have certain emotions. I mean, they've proved this. Um, And I'm not saying they're using it for evil, but I mean, the computer algorithms themselves can start to control the way people people think, feel, react. What if this computer was the CEO of that example that you mentioned?
0: How is the computer the
1: CEO? Well, eventually, I guess there is one person in the background, right? That can pull the plug. But what if if they weren't well-intentioned? What if they were trying to use it in a way to, I don't know, control an election, for example?
0: Say, now we've turned political. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I mean, I I, I get it. And I think some of this stuff can spiral out of control, even well-meaning stuff, right? I mean we can we can end up down a path or maybe we're making decisions off of incomplete data or understanding or something like that because at some point in time no matter how smart the computer gets we still have to have some sort of level of interpretation whether we're building the interpretation into the computer as as the output goes or we're having to actually interpret the output itself yeah i would agree with you on that i
1: mean and this is where i'm kind of walking back a little bit from my extreme position because i am not elon musk i don't believe that computers are going to take over the world, I do believe that they're very useful for us and that they could solve <laughs> particular problems. I mean, I myself find their application in my everyday life to be very meaningful and, and useful. I also sometimes think back to when I was a child and I didn't have a computer and I didn't have a smartphone. How the heck did I even get along in life? Because sometimes I feel like if I didn't have my phone, I would not know what
0: to do. Oh, absolutely. And and that's what's funny now is I, I think about like the when, when I was working at the hospital, the CEOs, assistant had been there since the hospital had opened, like in the late 60s, right? And so to listen to her talk about life before computers was very odd because you obviously could not run the hospital the hospital could not function without computers even desktop computers I mean how would people communicate people would have to actually stand up and like, walk down the hall and we've evolved to a place that you know computers have to be there like we can't go backwards at this point so if we don't continue to move forward it's going to atrophy at some point we need to we can't
1: not embrace these tools we just learn have to learn how to embrace them in such a way and if I don't think the computers will take over I think that they'll continue to augment and and improve our lives. But eventually we're going to get to a point where we might start to see computers being at an intelligence level that's near ours, but I don't think they're ever going to be smarter than us. Which is why I live in the country. All right. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of our podcast. Today, I am pleased to be talking with a a gentleman that I met, oh, I would say about maybe a little over a month ago when I was at the Content Marketing World Cleveland Clinic Health Summit, and I saw him present, and I was very impressed. I will uh, let him introduce himself, but I want to welcome to the show today uh, Nathan David from the Cleveland Clinic. Nathan,
2: welcome. Thank you for having me, Chris. So my name is Nathan David, as you said. I work at Cleveland Clinic. My role is a digital marketing manager. I specifically am in charge of lead generation, search engine optimization, and web analytics for Cleveland Clinic. And my previous background was at agencies, both small and large. Um, My first job was at a company called Rosetta, um, which was later acquired by Razorfish, and most recently I came in house and started doing in house marketing for Cleveland Clinic about two and a half years ago.
1: Well The presentation that I saw, Nathan, from you was pretty impressive. It was about some of the SEO strategies that you're doing. It it, it impressed me so much. I I reached out to you after you spoke and I said, you know, I want to talk to you and maybe uh, convince you to be part of the podcast. So thank you for joining today. Tell people a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today.
2: Specifically, what I wanted to talk uh, about today with you and with everyone is machine learning and how it's impacting healthcare marketing, especially patient acquisition. So machine learning is something that's a buzzword, definitely hearing more and more about it. And I've been doing a lot of research over the last several months about what it really means for Cleveland Clinic and what it means for me as a healthcare marketer. I've love to share what I found out so far, and then hopefully start more conversations about how people are using machine learning and how they're using it to more effectively acquire patients. So when you say machine learning, that has so many different
1: connotations. And, you know, my mind goes to one thing, you know, that the machine is learning and ultimately taking over and doing all the processing and all the thoughts around that. But start by telling us a little bit of your
2: definition of how you see machine learning. What is it? So from everything that I've learned over my time in marketing, machine learning really started under the umbrella of AI. So artificial intelligence and machine learning is a subcategory under that umbrella specifically is very effective when you have a large amount of inputs or signals and you have a specific goal in mind. So the reason why I want to talk about patient acquisition and machine learning is you have tons of different signals and attributes or dimensions for each one of your potential patients and um, a very clear goal in mind of driving that potential patient to your facility. Machine learning for me is really not just that calculation but the human interfacing with the machine in order to input goals and then the machine learning doing the heavy lifting of calculations and discovering those uh, patterns that are really unseen by the human. Tell us a little bit about how you see
1: the machine learning being applied in patient acquisition. Give us a framework for us
2: to understand that. You can't just jump from zero to 100 and um, turn on machine learning and it start to drive results for your organization. Really, the foundation of what you need first is a robust lead generation program. Many hospitals and health systems are embracing what I'd call lead generation, where you have some sort of um, way to capture leads on your website, whether it be an appointment request form or some sort of health assessment or form to download some premium content. If you have that in place, machine learning actually exists through some of the different platforms that most people are using to drive conversions for those different lead generation points. Machine learning could um, be overlaid with a multitude of different services, including AdWords, Facebook advertising, some display advertising networks as well. And it can be really used to make those channels work more efficiently for you and for you to really see improvements in cost per acquisitions when you're looking at acquiring leads that would convert into patients.
1: It's like a uh, setting that you could set up in
2: Facebook or through Google Ads. So a lot of times machine learning is so abstract and people think of it as something that's distant in the future, something that you would have to have you know five computer scientists on staff to figure out how to build an internal machine learning process. But actually, there's machine learning embedded into those different advertising platforms, Google, Facebook, um, AdWords, the specific platforms, they don't call it machine learning. Um, They call it automated bidding in most cases. But if you do research on their automated bidding services, um, they say that the foundation of that automated bidding is machine learning. For AdWords, for example, you would activate CPA, which is cost per acquisition, um, which is a feature in the back end. For Facebook, you would activate cost per action, which is another feature in the back end as you're setting up a campaign. By activating that, you're leveraging the machine learning that Facebook and Google have been working to develop to really create a more efficient bidding machine that drives leads at lower cost.
1: I'm familiar with you know just doing the standard pay per click and uh, Facebook advertising. And so it seems like what, what they're doing is they've developed these specific platforms. Is it not just the data that from your hospital, but like maybe from a variety of other businesses or in a variety of other
2: individuals maybe interacting with these platforms? Is that how it works? So really the best way to explain how machine learning works within those platforms is to talk a little about how we were managing our advertising through those platforms um, when we were just manually doing it. So before machine learning, um, when I would open a PPC campaign and create it, I would input the objectives, the goals, I would provide creative, I would also set values for how much I was willing to bid, and potentially I would put in some bid rules to adjust those bids based on the device someone's using, some demographics about that individual, or The category that that individual was interested in. So those were all proxies, and there were hundreds of different combinations. So a PPC marketer was very valuable to try to identify what was the combination that drove the most valuable leads for the organization. Well, now we have thousands of signals available to us um, just because there's such a plethora of different data that's being collected by these different organizations. So for Google, there's no way for one human to process all the different signal combinations. That would be you know, over a hundred million different combinations and patterns to look at to try to figure out in mine what was the most um, effective signals that indicate that someone would convert into a patient. So what the machine learning does is the human inputs the objectives and the machine then identifies the patterns and uses your own data based on historically how people have converted to determine um, what are the most profitable patterns and then it adjusts bids accordingly so that you can get those leads at most desirable or effective and efficient costs.
1: It's very interesting. I see this as being a powerful tool that has a lot of application. But
2: how are you specifically using it at the Cleveland Clinic right now? We are in the process, since this is something that is newer, of rolling it out and embedding it in our various campaigns. Specifically for paid search, we've done a series of tests that have validated the effectiveness of using that machine learning automated bidding, that cost per acquisition. And we did a 50-50 split test of having 50% of the traffic managed by our PPC manager and 50% of the bid for those traffic being managed by machine learning. And what we saw was either no radical or significant change between the two. And then in one of the scenarios, an increase in efficiency in terms of the cost per lead going down. So when you look at that side by side, using machine learning, we don't have to waste agency time on managing the campaigns and managing the bids, we can leverage that incremental time saved on them focusing on strategy. Um, So the machine learning, netting about the same results as human managing those bids is really a net gain because we can reinvest those hours.
1: My mind is going to the fact that maybe in the future, It sounds to me like the machines might become so smart that they can replace humans altogether in this whole
2: process. Is that where you see this potential going? We will always need humans to input objectives and goals, as well as, in most cases, we'll need people to create creative and brand messaging. So the human inputs aren't going away. I feel the real call to action for healthcare marketers and for all marketers in general is to become more strategic since machine learning allows you to get out of the weeds of the daily mundane management of things like bidding. Then you have more hours in your day to spend thinking about how you leverage these really powerful tools. I'm in. (laughs) it sounds to me very interesting but
1: you know many of our listeners maybe are not at the point where you're at where you're kind of experimenting with this if hospitals were starting to look at this as potentially being something they could do to amplify or augment their uh their existing digital
2: advertising approaches what are some tips that you can give them from what you've learned i think the best thing that anyone can do is to experiment so if you take a fraction of the your paid investment, whether it be in display, in social, or in paid search, and invest it in something that incorporates machine learning. Even if that Mm -hmm. turns out and nets to be not as effective and efficient, you at least have learned something that you can bring back to your organization. That's really been the catalyst for us. Actually we went into our machine learning experiment with the very strong hypothesis that we thought it would be less effective than the human manually managing those bids. And the data proved us wrong. So I think it's important to test, to iterate, and not to be be afraid to change some of the ways that you're going to market with these different channels. Because if you don't, um, just like with anything in digital, you'll miss out. And potentially fall behind. We mentioned patient acquisition.
1: What are some other strategies that you could utilize machine learning to, to support?
2: Oh, wow. There are tons of possibilities for machine learning. And patient acquisition is a lower hanging fruit just because of the nature of those paid channels being so data-driven already. Some of the examples that I've seen that I thought could be super powerful, especially for some of the opportunities I guess we have at Cleveland Clinic, there's different machine learning softwares that can identify and categorize content. So you could feed into this machine learning program all your content and get back content tags or categories recommended based on what is roughly related, and that could be very powerful in freeing up people's time that's spent categorizing content, recategorizing content every time we come up with a new category or tag that we want to add to the multitude of different articles that we've written over time. Another large opportunity that is actually already available through several um, app advertising services is you can use machine learning to promote app installs as well as app engagement. And so when I'm talking about an app, I mean an iOS or an Android app on your phone. And so those have been proven to be very successful and effective at getting in front of people.
1: I am really interested to
2: see how your experimenting is, is, is playing out. You said you already had some initial successes. Anyone who's leaving this conversation curious about machine learning and wanting to learn more or experiment themselves, you can also go to this great site, Google AI Experiments, and you can actually engage and play with different machine learning games. And it's a great way to kind of understand the power of the technology. We will definitely link to that
1: in our show notes. So people that are listening in can go check that out. I think that's really cool. I, I have a feeling I'm going to waste a good afternoon spending time on that site today. Nathan, you know, I think that a lot of times people, when they're listening in, they want to maybe learn more or, or hear
2: or, or reach out to you somehow online. Yes. Yeah, so the best way for someone to contact me would be through Twitter. And my handle is at Nathan P David, P as in Paul. This has been great. Very interesting. And I think
1: that, you know, you you really sparked uh, some ideas and thoughts in my head. And I imagine a lot of our listeners are, are listening in too. Thanks so much for sharing some of your time
2: today, Nathan. Really appreciate yep. it. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. All
1: right. Well, we're coming to the end of this episode. We want to Thank Nathan David from the Cleveland Clinic. We had a great interview with him about uh, machine-based learning and how healthcare marketers need to embrace some of that for patient acquisition strategies. It was a really insightful and interesting perspective on um, computer-based learning and kind of a nice compliment to the the very high philosophical argument you and I had. Yes. Yeah. We got a couple of things coming up and then we'll jump into recommendations. As we mentioned, healthcare internet conference in Austin, Texas is next week and we're going to be there in many different capacities. We're going to be, you know, quite prevalent, throughout the event. We'll be at a couple of the networking events at night. I think the most important thing is for people listening in, if on Tuesday, October 25th at 1:45, uh, come seek us out because we're going to do a live recording of this podcast. In fact, next week's podcast is going to be the live recording that we do next Tuesday. So uh, come find us. Yeah, if you can't find us, you're not looking hard enough.
0: I will also, the following week, be in Jackson, Mississippi, or more precisely, Madison, Mississippi, the suburb of Jackson, (laughs) at the Mississippi Hospital Association, are speaking at their uh, annual meeting of all their marketing and PR folks, and so I'm going to talk about the digital state of hospitals in Mississippi. So I've been doing some surveys and interviews of hospitals around the state of Mississippi, and... Going to uh, share those findings, so we'll be good stuff. If you happen to be listening and in Mississippi or coming to that conference, be sure to say hi. Would love to uh, love to
1: meet you. And then, not two weeks later, you and I are going to be both doing a webinar series for the Mayo Clinic, their Center for Social Media. On podcasting and the application of podcasting in healthcare. And for many of us listeners may be wondering, it's about time you guys get to it since you've been doing it for a while. Yes. We're going to be also repurposing that conversation into a podcast episode shortly thereafter. So if you want to you want to hear live and a- ask questions, you just got to go out to socialmedia.mayoclinic.org if you're part of the Mayo Clinic social media network. If you're not, you can actually learn how to sign up and register for that and hear you and I talk. Because apparently, if you're listening. To this podcast, you like
0: hearing you and I talk, right? Read, yeah. So come listen to more of us talking. Uh, recommendations you want me to go first? Yeah, you go first. Okay, as previously mentioned on this podcast, I occasionally build, paint, sculpt, etc. And uh, one of the things that I've come across for all you other uh, woodworkers out there is uh and maybe you already know about this but if you if you have a saw of any sort so miter saw table saw portable table saw compound miter saw you know i mean the whole handheld circular saw i could go down a list i feel like this is um <laughs> What was that movie? Is it best in show about the different nuts? But anyway, or for, uh, was it Forrest Gump that he does all the shrimp? Anyway, get, uh, a Diablo blade. You can find those at the Home Depot. That's the orange one, uh, the Home Depot sells diablo blade that their brand and you want to at least a 60 tooth for for fine finishes so if you're cutting things like hardwoods melamine plywood and you don't want that tear out mdf etc this is what you want to go with a 60 tooth at least you can go higher really you get up into 84 and that's more for like a laminate and stuff like that but 60 i found to be a good middle ground that are not crazy expensive awesome awesome yes.
1: Um, in true nature, I'm going to be recommending something that's a little bit opposite of what you're recommending. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> since I don't get around to a lot of woodworking here living in my apartment. So, But, you know, that's not to say I won't in the future. And I'm taking copious notes. Again, I, yes. I, I think you should release a podcast called Reed's Old House or something like that. So you can uh, <laughs> teach people about how to do these things. Okay, but mine is going to be around... Facebook reviews. We are now, uh, uh, everything it seems like the last year has been related to the wedding event that we had a couple weeks ago. Yesterday, we spent time, my wife and I, we spent time in a coffee shop. We sat down and we decided we we're going to reward all of our vendors that we've worked with that have done a good job with uh, good online reviews across all the multiple different platforms. And we're talking about Google, Yelp, Facebook, Facebook. You know, and even like the knot and wedding wire and others like that, because we realize an online reputation is important for any industry, for any business, right? We went through and we wrote reviews, and one thing I was able to do while doing that, I couldn't help but kind of judge the different reviewing systems and see which ones are more applicable, which ones are more easier to do, etc. I really came to enjoy the way Facebook does reviews because it's very very simple. It's you just apply a star rating, and then you can put some information in, and then you. Can can add some additional information including pictures and it actually recommends that you mm-hmm. add pictures etc the review process itself was very easy almost as easy as as uh, yelp but yelp asks all this additional information which is useful for restaurants mm-hmm. etc google is a little bit more you know uh, a little bit more clunky i would say with the review system for facebook was really good and dead on but moreover what i found is tracking it is that every vendor that we reviewed actually was able to interact and respond back to us and say, thank you for the great review. They got back to us right away. Some of them uh, instigated further conversation. You know, They said, we hope you had a great time. The, The point is, is that it had immediate impact or return to the business on a Sunday afternoon, no less. It was just overall really a good experience.
0: Very cool. So all those out there, make sure you have Facebook reviews turned on. So people can give them to you. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Good good conversation today. Something a little bit different. And I uh, could probably do another one of these with more smarter people <laughs> soon. maybe computers yes yeah we just have computers do the podcast from here on out awesome well uh, be sure to rate review us subscribe on iTunes tell a friend we certainly appreciate all the support uh, we've received over the last 30 now 37 episodes and anything you would like us to cover be sure to reach out and ask certainly appreciate it he is Chris Boyer I'm Reed Smith and we will see you next week